Hello and welcome to the Locked On Senators podcast. I'm Brandon Pillar, joined today by Chris Parliament, and it was a tankathon special on the weekend. The Sens, although it's not fortunate to get the uh, overtime point to San Jose, they did get the win over the Sharks. Always nice to see that. But Belleville, they did not get the win either game against Rochester on the weekend. We'll get into that. And some news and notes. Uh, some really great news for Shane Pinto. The Bean getting it done in the face-off dot. All that and more on the Locked On Senators podcast. is Monday, March 9th, 2020. The Senators, they beat the San Jose Sharks in a tankathon special. Unfortunately for the Ottawa Senators who hold the San Jose Sharks first round draft pick, that game went to overtime, meaning three points were divided. Two of those points came to the Senators, one to the Sharks who lost the game in overtime. Parley, what did you think about the Chris Tierney revenge game and that OT goal? Yeah, he mentioned after the game to Sean McKenzie, also a former CSM student, uh, that, you know, it's fun to score against your old team. It's funny when you hear a guy call another team's goalie Delhi. You know, you know, don't really hear a lot of nicknames flying around when you're talking about people on the other team. But yeah, there's a lot of guys that he was he played with there. And you look back at his career in San Jose, they went to the cup final. So that's where a lot of friendships and stuff like that and relationships in the National League are kind of cemented. So uh, that's always fun to see a guy like Chris Tierney uh, get on the board in a situation like that. A guy that you've been pretty high on all season in regards to the trade deadline and stuff like that. So him staying with the Senators uh, is something that you've liked to see. It's nice to see him uh, add to the score sheet a little bit as well in a season that's kind of been up and down. Not really brought on as a scorer, but I digress. It was a great play from Anthony Duclair. Uh, another two points for him in that game. Two apples, of course, as the scoring is still a little bit streaky with him. But, I mean, he continues to create with his legs, eh? Well, he pretty much created that whole overtime goal play. I mean, he was going so fast, partly he had to jump over the the defender playing the two-on-one, which, thank God, he made it over top of him because with that speed and uh, his size, that you do not want Anthony Duclair falling on top of you with his blades. But you mentioned how I've been pretty high on Chris Tierney this season, which I have been. I'm glad they were able to keep him, uh, especially with Pajot being moved at the deadline. He's a key piece uh, to this team moving forward. But another guy that I'm super high on, also a former Shark, although he never played a game for the San Jose Sharks, but he came along in that Eric Carlson trade as well. Rudolph Balsers, what a game for him. I mean, he doesn't get on the score sheet, but... It was, I think, a minute into the game. Chris Tierney uh, gave him a pass to lead him on a breakaway, and he just couldn't beat Delhi uh, on the breakaway there. I'm sure Rudolph probably wasn't using his nickname as they didn't play together, but a close one. Rudolph Balsters had four shots on goal, and so did Chris Tierney. So a couple of guys that got traded, obviously playing with the chip on their shoulder, and Parley, I bet there's some big-time money on the board from those guys. For sure there would be, and it'd be coming from the bank out of Chris Tierney. I bet I don't think Rudolph Balsers would have to put up much money. I don't know if guys in the room would be happy with that, guys like that putting up money. But uh, another thing that I go back to that interview with Chris Tierney and Sean McKenzie right after the game there, and, you know, Craig Anderson went in there and earned this win. 
You know what I mean? It, it was he's a leader in the room, and there's games that, as a veteran, he understands are big for other players. So it was kind of a nice finish that Chris Tierney was able to get the win for the not only the team but Craig Anderson in that one. And you talk about Craig Anderson, like going into this one, he's he's been struggling. There's no way around it. But he went out there and made 31 saves on 31 shots in into overtime. You know, he was he did what he had to do, and that's vintage. Craig Anderson. Yeah, I, I agree. I thought he played a really good game. And you mentioned how he kind of struggled coming into this game. And it was obvious, right? Like you can see it in uh, body posture, body language. You know, you can, you can tell that he wasn't playing confidently. That game against the Sharks was a whole different story. He was playing so confident. He was uh, tracking down pucks. He was limiting rebounds. Like, you could just tell that this is a game that he wanted, kind of like you said, like the pride was on the line. And he had talked about that earlier uh, before the game, telling the media that, look, there's not much to play for because we're a bottom team going up against another bottom team. The guys in the rooms aren't concerned about draft picks, right? They don't care. But you got to play for pride. You got to play for jobs. Right now, Anderson, uh, as Mark uh, Borrow always puts it is playing for zero dollars next season right so whether he wants to retire or keep on playing that's you got to play for pride and they certainly did that and even though the Sens actually outshot the Sharks 38 to 32 it seemed like the Sharks had a lot of good chances and the Senators had even more chances I was really hoping this was happening to finish this game in regulation like that last minute I think they hit three posts and missed a couple key chances how good would have that been if they could have shut this out in uh, regulation before uh, Chris Tierney had to end it in OTA? It definitely would have been nice. That loser point definitely kind of sucks in what is kind of a, a loser situation for the Senators, <laughs> to say yeah. it bleakly. But, uh, you know, San Jose, they lost that game, but then they went out and lost again last night. So they're on a three-game slide right now. And you look around, the Senators, they're on a two-game win streak. But Los Angeles in front of them has won five in a row. So, you know, those chances, they Los Angeles and Ottawa aren't that far off when it comes to uh, uh, points for it in the st- standings. I mean, L.A. has 60 points. Ottawa has 62. San Jose has 63. So if L.A. can stay hot, which they're playing really well right now out of nowhere, like I said, winning five straight, Ottawa's two and three points away from hopping into second and third spot in the Tankathon rundown so i mean la staying hot and the sharks losing it kind of sucks like you said they picked up another point in that one but i mean if these two teams got to do that while la's winning hockey games like they are uh there's nothing wrong with that for the senators i don't think it's not really time to complain i don't think no not at all and the teams that you mentioned uh the the kings and the sharks obviously uh, the California teams there, and then the Ducks also are pretty far down in the standings as well. It's pretty crazy to think. I mean, we're uh, Ross and I live in Toronto, so we're constantly bombarded by Leafs news. So the Leafs California trip obviously didn't go well, and that was looked at as such a defeat. But it's crazy to think when was the last time that either the King or all three of them, I should say, the Kings, Ducks, and Sharks weren't contenders they're all bottom feeders for the first time like now teams are going to cali and licking their chops they're getting nice weather in march and hopefully two easy points didn't work out that way for the leafs but it's just crazy the the way this league kind of flips around eh, parley 
Yeah, it used to be Death Valley out there. Yeah. You'd go out there and you'd play the big body teams. But, uh, you know, the NHL definitely is uh, cyclical in the way it goes. And that's why the lottery system is the way it is. And uh, as Matthew McConaughey would say, revolutions. <laughs> nice. Great stuff. Yeah, so uh, the Senators, they'll be going up against the Anaheim Ducks on Tuesday, the 10th, tomorrow. And then back to back up against the Kings right after. So... I mean, really, you you want the Ducks to win that game, and you want the Kings to win that game. These are two games you you want to lose, really, and you really don't want the loser points coming in uh, for Ottawa, that is, if they make it to regulation. So that'll be an interesting swing for sure, the back-to-back games. Parley, you think uh, the Sens have it in them to lose both these games? It seems like they've been winning the games they're supposed to lose lately, eh? It does seem like that. But like I said, LA's hot and uh, Anaheim... When you got a guy like John Gibson, he can always steal a game. But knowing the Senators, we'll get a backup. Yeah, that's true. Actually, we'll. Probably, I wouldn't be surprised if we got uh, Ryan Miller and Campbell on both those games. So uh, that's always interesting for the Senators to go up against backup goalies, which I feel like the last three seasons we've seen a lot of backup <laughs> goalies around the league. Speaking of backup goalies. And speaking of backup, backup goalies, no, I'm not talking about an e-bug situation, but it was kind of similar because the Belleville Senators, and partly this is the funny thing, we I feel like we've been talking all year about how many goalies this team has. It's an embarrassment of riches, and we were actually discussing it more as a problem. There's too many goalies. How are you going to manage these guys? Who's going to get playing time? Who's going to get sent down, etc.? We had lots of conversations about that. And then what do you know? Last weekend, the starting goalies in Belleville are Dubow and Windsor. It's just crazy that that could happen. Hogberg, still no word yet uh, if he's back from Sweden, although Gustafsson was sent back down to Belleville, so you got to assume either he's uh, back from whatever personal uh, things were going on with his family back home in Sweden, or Anders Nilsson has recovered from his uh, concussion. So we're, we're not sure which of those scenarios have played out, but... Parley, I'll tell you, Dubot, even though they lost uh, the back-to-back games against Rochester, I thought he played really well for, this is his first experience in the AHL, so to get that call up and to play well, I thought was really good on Dubot, and tough loss, though, for the Belleville Senators losing back-to-back games against the team chasing them in the North Division. It is an unfortunate situation, and that situation kind of gets multiplied by the fact that he doesn't have Christian Wilden or Eric Brandstrom in front of him. So you got to take that into consideration. And you know what? In a game where you get doubled up 4-2 and you make 37 saves, nobody's looking at the goaltender in that game. For sure. And uh, even if we're going back to Friday's game, Parley, I was at that game uh, spinning the replay wheel, and man, Dubot... Uh, the Americans had 23 shots in the first period. The Senators had 28 shots total all game. So how's that for a welcome to the AHL? 23 shots in the first period. I thought his play was strong. Like he was being confident. He got peppered with shots, which I actually think is a good situation so that you're not as nervous. You can uh, feel the puck a little, get into the game right away. So that's not uh, the worst thing. But you mentioned it. The big problem that I found with this uh, Belleville Senators team this last weekend was they really lacked a true uh, kind of star potential defenseman in either Willannon or Branstrom because 
they had a really hard time moving the puck out of their zone. Uh, their power play, although they did get a goal on Friday, I thought it wasn't really effective. So even though you got guys like Christian Yaros and Max Lajoie, guys who have NHL experience and really are kind of relied upon to be steady veterans in the AHL, just them alone wasn't really getting it done. And they really miss Eric Branstrom or Christian Molina on that back end. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate, but on a team that kind of plays with pace and stuff like that, they're built around that quick breakout where you can have guys jumping into plays like a Drake Batson who did end up getting a goal or an Alex Formanton, guys like that who are able to push the pace with control and then have that D-man hop in as kind of that second wave where we saw Eric Brandstrom the last time he was in the National League become really effective, just kind of recognizing that situation where it's effective to jump into a play and you get a scoring chance out of it so I think that's where the game of hockey is going right now is having quality mobile defensemen that are able to jump into plays and create odd man rushes out of really nothing and just taking advantage of that so that's definitely Brandstrom and Wallinen's go-to game but uh, without them yeah definitely seems like Belleville's lacking that. Well, while they didn't have those defensemen to make those breakout passes, partly which were part of the issue, a guy that didn't really need a lot of time or space to get it done was Philip Schlappick. He got two goals that Friday night, uh, the 5-3 loss to the Americans, but they were just quick plays where he just entered the zone, kind of head down, knew he's going to take a shot, and then once he found some space, boom, he just let it go and fooled the goalie. He had two goals like that. So, love seeing Philip Schlappick. Uh, thriving because he sometimes kind of gets uh, cast aside under the Formantons, the Norrises, the Abramovs, the Bathersons, etc. So it's nice to see him still shining. And it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with uh, Philip Schlappick moving forward. Because as I've said, I don't really know his place in this uh, organization. He's kind of in between being a really high-end prospect and, um, you know, just being shuffled out with too many guys in the center position uh, in his age group and kind of skill level. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Schlappick. Parley, what would be your preference with Schlappick going forward here? Right now, it's just seems to be consistency of play. You know, he's only had 36 games played and, you know, you chalk up that to injury and the time he spent in the national league this year, but he's kind of been bumping around. So you mentioned it. He had two goals the other night that brings him to 10 on the season. So you look at that, 10 goals, add in 12 assists. So he's at 22 points. But like you mentioned, the center depth in Belleville even is so thick. So you look at the Josh Norris and the Logan Browns, who obviously I think the organization is going to push to play more minutes over a guy like Philip Schlappick. But then you look, team captain Jordan Suarez is right there, right? So he's got 18 points and 18 assists, albeit in 45 games played, but that 36 points is looking a lot better right now. And he definitely plays a role that I don't think Philip Schlappick's able to play. So it's interesting to see and good to see Philip Schlappick get on the score sheet every once in a while, because if he can kick it into another gear, that would make a really competitive camp. But, you know, the time is kind of ticking for a guy like Philip Schlappick we mentioned is kind of searching for an identity right now. And you mentioned that, you know, he's maybe not the high end guy that you thought he might be when he was coming out of the world juniors. And if he doesn't have that drive, I don't see him making a push. If there's one or two spots available over a guy like Logan Brown or Josh Norris. And I completely agree. And it's nothing against Felix Schlappick. I think he's a great player. He's exciting. He's got some offensive upside, but there's, 
there's just so many prospects. And it's funny we're saying that now, partly because we got nine picks in the first three rounds coming up next draft. So there's about to be even more prospects uh, coming this way, especially with three first rounders. Two of those first round picks could jump into the NHL right away, possibly. And then all three of them definitely have a chance to be on Belleville next year. So he possibly could get squeezed out. And that's why I've advocated for him to be uh, kind of a sweetener in a trade for the Senators, because also they're going to have to decide real quick what they're doing with him because he's going to be a restricted free agent after this season. He's 22 years old. He's on the last year of his entry level deal. So we're going to have to see what's going to happen with Philip Schlappick moving forward in the Ottawa Senators organization. So Philip Schlappick's role with the Ottawa Senators may be a little unclear, but if you're looking for a clear role with customers for your business, why not advertise through the Locked On Senators podcast? If you've been a listener of this podcast, I'm sure you heard all the great advertisers working with Locked On Podcast Network to reach sports fans. But you may not know that Locked On Senators podcast is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Sens fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners. Not just any podcast listener, a Locked On podcast listener. If your company wants to connect with Sens fans and a predominantly male audience that is well-educated with disposable income, then let's put your company right here on this Locked On podcast. Local fans, they love to support local businesses. So text the word advertising to 33777 or visit lockedonpodcast.com slash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help your team achieve Locked On advertising success. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777 or visit lockedonpodcast.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you. So, lots going on with the Ottawa Senators on the ice with a huge tankathon win against the San Jose Sharks, and they continue their California road swing. The Belleville Senators, they had a tough weekend up against the Rochester Americans, and they'll play Laval coming up on Wednesday. So that's what's going on on the ice. Unfortunately, off the ice, things are still a little crazy with this whole Jim Little situation, eh, Parley? You know, I don't have much to say about this. Because, you know, it's it's personal, it's an unfortunate situation, and obviously I don't think we have all the information that the team has going forward, and I don't think we ever will get that sort of information. But I do have to say this. With the light at the end of the tunnel continuing to get brighter as the Senators continue this rebuild that's been very uh, testing on the Senators fan base, to say the least, it just seems that a guy like Eugene Melnick even though this isn't all about him, continues to surround himself with characters that bring down the brand of his team. So, I mean, I don't know what that says about him as a person, continuing to surround himself with players that, or not players, but organization members in all different roles that create these situations that reflect badly on the team and the brand. Um, You know, I thought this would all be over last year with the Hoffman things that happened. Um, the Randy Lee things that happened, uh, Ubergate, the Ubergate. There's so many different things that happened and it's unfortunate that it's continued 
when the fan bases started to get excited about the brand again, where the team's future is heading. I hope this one blows over for all those involved. It's, it's just a bad situation and that's really all I got to say about it. Yeah. And I, I kind of, I appreciate where you're coming from because I don't have a lot to say about it either because a lot of it is he said, she said, right. So who, who can you really trust? Who knows? But like you said, it just seems that the Senators can't connect with the right people. And when they do connect with the right people, it seems like there ends up being a problem either created or found later on. You know, so it's really tough because as much as uh, you talked about the light at the end of the tunnel, which is obvious. I mean, we, we're gushing over Belleville for a full season now because of the great prospects that this team has drafted and developed. But the key is for a franchise to succeed, it needs to start from the top down. And if the, the culture from the top down isn't uh, successful and driven and have similar goals or reflect similar goals, it's just not going to work because the players are sitting here being like, who whose advice are we looking for? You know, like whose lead are we following? What is our, what is our culture? What is our, our image that we're trying to reflect? And, it's tough when all these off-ice things happen to cloud all the great positive on-ice things. And it's never going to get better unless there's a change in uh, the attitude or ownership for this for this team. So it's frustrating, and I don't think we need to say much more about it because uh, it's a lot of speculation, and I'm sure more news will come out of this for sure. But Farley, how about you take us to some happier news uh, with some more light at the tunnel involving Shane the Bean Pinto. Oh yeah, his con- his season has just continued to skyrocket and that is true about the University of North Dakota. They went into the weekend this weekend and they finished off their season the exact way they started at Pilsey with a 5-0 win. They had it in their opening game, they had it in their final game and they won that game to win the Penrose Cup which is the NCAA's equivalent of the President's Cup. So if you run down what happened uh, for Senators prospects on that team, there's three of them, remember? So freshman Shane Pinto finished tied for third in team scoring with 28. Sophomore defenseman Jacob Bernard Docker finished fourth with 25 points. Let me reiterate, he's a blue liner, so that's pretty unbelievable. He had 25 points. And then sophomore Johnny Tyconic, the outgoing player, finished with 12 points. But he only played 24 games, so that's, you know, 0.5 points per game. It's pretty impressive from the blue line as well. What's even more impressive is you may have seen this on Twitter because it kind of blew up. In the weekend leading to the Penrose Cup, Shane Pinto continued to dominate the face-off circle. He took 35 draws in two games and only lost six of them. Wow. Unbelievable. So he's slowly closing in on the single season best record for North Dakota. And that's Rhett Gardner. No baseball fans, not Brett Gardner, Rhett (laughs) Gardner, who said it last year. So he has the team record right now of 62.3% in the dot. Shane Pinto right behind him, 61.1% in the dot. And yes, they do continue into the playoffs. So it's an entire season that they take in that total. Interesting enough, a guy who's having a pretty good season in Colorado in Tyson Yost was the guy that Rhett Gardner took it from. So all around, lots of good news coming out of uh, University of North Dakota. And it's, uh, yeah, the light at the end of the tunnels. It definitely got three guys in it right now that uh, could take it all home at the end of the tournament for in the NCAA. 
Yeah, just uh, huge stick taps to the Fighting Hawks. And you got to love when you have three guys developing on the same team because it makes it easy to follow them first. Uh, I don't watch too many UND games. So uh, if I do, at least I know I'm watching three of uh, Sen's prospects. And it just builds good chemistry. Like these guys are... Um, Shane Pinto was from last year's draft, but JBD and Tyconic obviously were picked one after another on purpose, I would say, because of the chemistry that they're going to have developing going forward and continue to have uh, if they play together in Belleville and or uh, Ottawa. So just great to see. And yeah, Shane Pinto continues to impress in all facets of the game. You talk about chemistry, how nice will it be uh, having John Jacob Bernard Docker taking those shots from the point and your boy Shane Pinto, the bean standing at the top of the slot tipping. So that's, uh, that's definitely some chemistry that'll be good coming into the NHL. Oh yeah. And don't forget Tyconic will be the one who gets the secondary assist passing it over to JGP. (laughs) So that's, that's the whole trio right there. So let's get into uh, a little tankathon, some more prospects coming the senator's way. Just a few, just a few draft picks coming up. Maybe some important ones. Uh, I'm talking about sitting in the third and fourth highest percentiles of getting first overall. Technically, Parley, the Sens have the best percentage with uh, a combined 11.5% and a 9.5% chance of getting the first overall. Having said that, we've barely got first overall. I think I got it last week with Ross. Parley, have you ever spun a first overall on the show? The last time I did it, I did, finally. Oh, here we go. All right. So, with having said that, give it a spin, buddy. Let's see another number one. I can't do number one for you, but I'll give you number two. How about that? The Senators pick slides up into the second spot behind, yeah, you guessed it, Detroit. And the San Jose pick drops down to number five. So, saying drop down and having two top five picks is uh, making me a happy guy. Yeah, it's hilarious how we look at that negatively when really uh, that's that's pretty impressive and could change the future of this franchise forever. But I'm going to get a spin here, and uh, it's a little worse than yours. So interestingly enough, the California teams take spot one, two, and three. The Ducks, number one. The Kings, number two. San Jose, Ottawa's pick is number three. And then Detroit and Ottawa f- fall after that. So the Sens get three and five in this scenario. Not bad. Not bad. Imagine imagine Detroit getting fourth. That would be absolutely hilarious. And quickly, I want to mention the New York Islanders have been on a bit of a schneid lately, losing Ooh. six in a row. So that moves the Senators' third pick of the first round up to 20th if the draft were to happen today. So for me, that would be two, five, and 20. Not bad. Yeah, that'd be that'd be crazy. And uh, I asked Ross this question more just joking, but uh, what what's more important that the Islanders their first round pick uh, becomes a better chance of uh, getting first overall this season, or don't forget that sneaky conditional pick Dorian threw in there. Islanders win the cup this year, and that's another third round pick. What's more important, Parley? Or is there even a chance the Islanders can win the Cup this season? I don't know, man. That's pretty far out there. But uh, (laughs) the way they're playing right now, I'm going to say I'm pretty comfortable with picking 20th for the third time. Definitely. And uh, I don't think the Senators really need any more draft picks. If anything, you want uh, better quality in the picks they already have. So the further down 
this New York Islanders team can go, the absolute better, right? Absolutely. So, uh, Parley, that pretty much wraps it up here. Do you got anything else before we head on? That's it for me, buddy. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Locked On Senators podcast. For myself, Brandon Piller, for Chris Parliament, thanks for listening. And we'll be back tomorrow to tee you up for the back-to-back games against the Anaheim Ducks on Tuesday. And then on Wednesday, the LA Kings. So that's it for us on the Locked On Senators podcast, your team every day.